Welcome to the M Files. You are listening to Valerie and Ella Mayers, Patty Wood Finkel, and John Woodward musing on masks in museums. On this special episode, we are going to address the topic of masks in museums, from art to cautionary objects. And we would like to thank St. Vincent's College for this particular episode. First, we are speaking with Michael Williams, the registrar at the Oklahoma Territorial Museum and Carnegie Library in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Welcome, Michael. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's been a while. I don't think I've I've talked to you guys in, what, a week? (laughs) It is. And welcome back to the podcast. We're not going to ask you about Elmer McCurdy this time, but I had to bring him up, so there we go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank God. (laughs) I'm about Elmered out after uh, October. Seems like that's all I ever do. Um, so we had asked you here today to talk to us a little bit about masking in museums. Now, we wanted to come at this topic from a couple of different angles. So we've employed the help of different museum people to help us talk about them. You, though, told us that you had some interesting stories about things that happened at your museum during the pandemic when guests and staff were masking. Could you elaborate on those a little bit? Masks were... It was a big deal um, in Guthrie, in Oklahoma. You know, I mean, it was everywhere. Um, but Guthrie was like one of the very first cities in the in the nation to have a uh, mandatory mask policy. And there was a group of citizens. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a group of citizens that um, that sued them, sued them over it. Yeah, we're like we're like twelve thousand people. I mean, it's not like it's this, this huge city. And so there's there's a there's a you know segment of the the community that sued the city for having this man, mask mandate, telling you know they can't tell us what to do and you know all these kind of things and and um, got I mean it's got into federal court. Uh, there was a um, um, article in like the New Yorker about it, you know, because like I said, this is this is one of the first communities to take that step and. Um, so, you know, that didn't go over very well. And, and once they got sued, the, the city backed down. You know, they're like, okay, we're not, we're not going to pursue this. You know, we don't, we don't have the means to, to, to fight a, um, a court case, you know, over, over masking. So, so they, just, they just backed away from it. And, um, but yeah, so, so, but being a state facility, the state of Oklahoma had a mask mandate. And so we, once we did open and we, we opened back up to the public in June. All right. So, so, you know, everything locked down in, in what, late March and we're back open in June. Now we didn't have a lot of people, you know, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, they were just flooding the place, but we were open to the public and people were coming in and, we had our own, you know, mass mandate through the state of Oklahoma and people just fought it. Um, it wasn't a lot, but, you know, in comparison to the to the amount of people that were actually coming into the museum, it was, it was, it was quite a few people. The first time, the first time I had a problem with it, and it really wasn't me, I just kind of got pulled in, um, but our, our part-time worker at the time, you know, she tells this lady that, 
you know, we require masks within the, the museum. Everybody had to have a mask on. And they're like, well, you know, we don't have to do that. And, and she's like, no, you do. You do have to do that. And so she kind of argued back and forth with him for a little bit. And then, you know, I could hear something going on. And I'm like, all right, what's what's going on out here? Because this doesn't sound right. This isn't normal. So I walk out there and there's a lady and her two kids. And then it looked like probably her mother. And so I talked to him and I said, hey, you know, it's like I can hear what's going on. And we do require masks for entrance. You know, we just please ask that you, you, you know, wear the mask and, you know, while you're inside the building, it's not a, you know, this is just, this is just what it is. And, and she's like, okay. And we had masks. I mean, we bought boxes full of masks and we had them available for the, for the public. You know, it's not like we're, you know, requiring you to bring it in. I mean, we had them on site. And so I give them all a mask and they put them on and, it wasn't, they weren't around the corner and they had those masks off, you know? And I was like, hey, you know, I told you already that you got to wear the mask inside the museum. And they're like, okay, okay, we'll put them back on. So they put them back on and then I'm watching them and they walk around our bottom floor and they come out to, to go to the staircase that leads up to the upper gallery and as soon as they were out, walked around the corner, every single one of them, you know, had the mask off. And I was like, I was like, listen, you know, I don't, I, I hate to be like this, but I've told you multiple times that you have to wear a mask in the museum. If you're not willing to do that, I'm going to ask you to leave. You know, and I'm, I'm appalled at this. It's like, it's like, I cannot believe I'm asking somebody to leave my museum. You know, and it's like, this is not you know, this is not what we do. You know, it's like we're here to give people this positive experience in a museum. And, and I'm here having to tell people that I want them to leave, you know, because they're unable to follow, you know, this, this mask mandate. And um, so anyway, she starts going up the stairs. She's just totally ignoring me. And she's going up the stairs. And I was like, ma'am, I told you, you have to wear the mask or you have to leave. I was like, that's, that's the point where we are. And she's like, she turns around and she looks at me and she goes, well, Fox News told me I didn't have to wear a mask. And I was like, I was like, okay. I said, but here's the thing. I said, Fox News does not, you know, dictate the policies of the Oklahoma Historical Society. And our policy is that you have to wear a mask. And if you're unwilling to wear a mask, then I'm asking you to leave. And if you're unwilling to leave then you're trespassing at this point and I'm going to have to call the police. And I'm, I, I, again, I'm like, I cannot believe that I'm having this kind of a conversation with somebody because I want people to come in and enjoy themselves. You know, I, I don't want to sit here and fight with people about wearing a mask. You know, I, it wasn't like I was super, you know, afraid of, of COVID or anything. But, you know, we had staff members that, that really were, you know, we had people that that, you know, their 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 children were immune compromised. And, you know, the, our part time lady, she was I don't want to call her elderly because she's not. But she was on the she was on the like the, the low end of that, you know, and, and I'm like, OK, you know, what do I do? And I, I finally, I turned around to her and I said, hey, you know what? She's not, she's not complying. Call the police. 
So they, the police come out, and, and the whole time I'm just like, I cannot believe this. I, it's just, it was the most ludicrous thing, you know, that I could think of. And I'm like, I cannot believe I'm calling the police on a visitor, you know, that's not like attacking somebody or, you know, anything like that. But some of our staff, to them, not wearing the mask was was like an attack, you know. I mean, this was this was assaulting their health and the health of their families. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is this is really, really a, a, a thing. So the police come, and the police come, and they show up about the time that that these people made their way through the entire museum, you know. And, and so, so they're already actually leaving, and the police come, and they're like, okay, well, you know, they've asked you to leave, and you refuse to leave. At this point, if they want to press charges on you, I could arrest you and take you in for trespassing because, you know, that's technically what you're doing. They've asked you to leave and you've refused. And I look at him and I said, no, dude, we don't want to do that. It's like, we don't want to do that. We just have a policy and we just want to ensure that everybody in the facility is safe. Um, and he, he looks at the lady and he's like, look, this is this is a private business. They have the right to, to, to tell you what you have to do to come into their, their building. And um, I don't care what you believe or what you think, they set the rules here, you know. So, so we're going to just have you just go on and leave. And since they're not willing to, to press charges, you know, well, I'm just going to have you leave and say goodbye. And so they walked out. And, and you know, our, our part-time person was just, I don't want to say she was on the verge of a breakdown, but, I mean, she was was emotionally upset about this, you know, because because here, again, she's somebody that wants people to come into our museum, enjoy themselves, learn things, you know, interact with us as a, as a, um, as a group, and, and, and here she is kicking people out. You know, so it was, it was, it was, um, I don't want to say traumatic for us, but it was, it was disappointing is really what it was. It was just so disappointing because it was, you know, here we are not meeting the needs of our visitors. And, and so, you know, and we take that serious. You know, we want, you know, we want to do a good job. So, so that was the first one, you know. Um, you know, Fox News told us we didn't have to wear a mask. And I was just like, wow, okay, that's, that's crazy. Um, another one... We had, and again, we'd had multiple little confrontations with people, not bad ones, but just, you know, they're just like pushing up against the, the barriers and seeing, you know, seeing what they could get away with and had, had a homeschool group come in. And so, you know, it's like, I'm telling them, I'm like, okay, you know, we require that everybody in the museum wear a mask, you know, blah, 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 blah. And this lady looks at me and she goes, she goes, well, I have a doctor's note that says I don't have to wear a mask, you know, because I have a, a, you know, a condition that requires me to be able to freely breathe. And I look at her and I said, you know what? The CDC says there is no such condition that would keep you from wearing a mask. And if you had such a condition to keep you from wearing a mask, you shouldn't be out in the public anyway. You know, it's like you are. And I said, no, because at this point I've already you know, had to have these conversations with multiple people. And I'm like, no, we already, we know what the rules are. 
there is no doctor's notes that 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 give you any kind of uh, a pass from wearing a mask. It's like if you're in the facility, you have to wear a mask, and if you don't, you have to leave. You know, it's just simple as that. And she's like, she gets mad, and so she's like, well, we'll just leave. And I was like, that's fine. That's fine. And it's like, I'm not going to force you to wear a mask, but if you're in the building, you have to. So, you know, if you don't want to do it, go ahead and leave. I, I hate I hate for this to happen, you know, and I was like, hopefully you'll come back after the pandemic, and, you know, we'd love to have you, you know. But under the circumstances, this is, this is the rules. These are the rules we've made, and these are the rules we're going to follow. It seems to be an issue of empowerment in museums, whether children come for a trick-or-treat trail and they're happily wearing their masks. Oh, yeah. I know it's a different idea. Yeah. But this idea of in our museum world of museum literacy and what makes you feel empowered or having agency to actively engage in that environment, this is where there's been such tremendous discord with the pandemic issue of masks. But all that being said, do you have any masks in the museum collection? Um, no, actually, not that, not that I'm aware of. It's like we don't have anything that's, that's um, you know, um, decorative or you know, ceremonial or anything like that. We, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of beyond the scope. Um, you know, of our collection. So, so we don't, we, you know, we don't. And um, I thought about that when we were, you know, first, when you first brought this stuff up to me, it was like, it's like, yeah, I wish, I wish we did. I was like, we just, we just don't. I mean, the, the historical society has some, you know, at various places, but it's just not, not with us. Um, but, but the lady, the lady that had the condition, you know, um, she leaves, she leaves, and, and these, these other moms leave with her, and they're all outside. And then she comes back, and she comes back because her kid's still in, in the building. She comes back in, and she, she's look at, she looks at me, and she's just mad. And she goes, she goes, I need to talk to my child. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. Take him outside and talk to him. And she goes, she goes you're not going to allow me to talk to my child? And I was like, mm, you can talk to your child. You just have to take him outside. You know, you can't talk to him in here if you're refusing to wear a mask. Um, you know, this is this is, you know, this is months and months into this. You know, so I mean, this is this is where we have gotten to the point of there's no being being nice about it. I know I'm not going to say we're being mean, but there's no compromising this. You know, there's no playing games with people. We're tired of playing the games with them. You know, we've got the stated policy. This is it, you know, follow it or leave. And uh, again, like I said, this is something that we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. Um, we even made a sign. We even made a sign of a cowboy with a bandana on his face. And then we had a caption off to the side that said, said masks, the cowboy way, you know, just to, just to get, bring some levity to it, you know, just to say, Hey, we get it. You know, we understand that that you're seeing this as some sort of a uh, attack on your your personal freedoms and stuff like that. And it's not. You know, we have we have rules that we have to follow. You know, it's like if I let you in and you make us sick and somebody here dies, I, I'm I don't want to live with that. You know, and and then we're not following the mandates of the state of Oklahoma. You know, which 
You know, is is your freedom to wear this mask more important than my job? No, it's not. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you that right now. It's not. Um, and so probably this was on kind of the last day of the mask mandates, all right? We had a group of, of elderly people. I want to say elderly. I mean, most of them were, you know, 65 plus um, come in. The, the CDC has already said that, you know, the, it's time to do away with the mask mandates. The Oklahoma Historical Society had yet to change its policy but they were meeting the next day, you know, and, and we knew that the next day they're going to do away with it, you know, and we, we wouldn't have this mask mandate. And this was kind of one of those little special special groups that they're, they're coming in at 6 o'clock. You know, it's one of those ones we stayed late for, and so they're coming in at 6 o'clock, and they're going to be um, – they're going to be – I'm going to give them a tour. You know, we're going to walk around. We're going to talk about it and, you know, uh, discuss Oklahoma history. And so so I get them all together before, and, and my, my plan is to say, hey, look, I know what the CDC says. Here's what our policy is. We're going to agree that if everybody here is is vaccinated, that we're just going to do away with the mask and nobody has to worry about it. You know, and, and, and if you're not vaccinated, we'll ask that you wear one. You know, that was it. And so before I even get started, you know, I, I kind of started talking about it, you know, and laying it out that I know the CDC has changed the rules. I know, you know, this, this and this. The Oklahoma Historical Society has not. Well, I had this old man walk up to me, walk. I mean, he walks up to me and gets in my face. And, and there's there's probably 30 people here. He gets in my face and he looks at me and you can just see he is seething with anger and he looks at me and he points and he's like, you have to explain to me why I have to wear a mask. And I, I look at him, I kind of look down at him and I go, listen, I don't have to explain anything to you. I said, I said, our policy is that we wear masks and until that policy changes, that's the policy of this facility. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And he was kind of like, he was taken aback by that, you know, because he's like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I could bully people, you know. Why is this not working, you know? And I'm like, if you would listen, let me finish speaking, you know, maybe maybe you would have been happy. And so, so he, he kind of just like backs up, you know, he backs up and he moves over back to where his wife is. And I said, I go, I go, okay, so now then since, you know, um, you know, before I was rudely interrupted, I was going to tell everybody that that since we know that this has happened, we know that we're doing this, it, we're going to allow you to not wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated. And if you're not fully vaccinated, you know, we will ask that you wear one. And um, everybody's like, oh, OK, you know, that's great. So I had this guy. And like I said, I was I was physically bigger than this this old guy that came up to me, and uh, I had this guy walk up to me, and I'm looking up to him because because you know it's like I'm I'm like six foot, he's probably like six foot four, and I'm like oh man, and so he walks up to me and he's got a mask on, and he goes he goes I'm not vaccinated, so I'm gonna wear my mask, and I was like thank you man, I appreciate that, you know it's like 
you know, he's like, yeah, he says, no problem, you know, just la la, you know, so we go on and we do our tour and we have a great time, you know, and, and I even interacted with the guy that had the, you know, the attitude to begin with. Um, so, you know, it's just, we just had some very, very weird situations um, that kind of popped up. So, um, we didn't have anybody disappear on us, but, you know, um, most of the people, most of the people, whenever we forcefully let them know that this was the policy, they, they, they adhered to it. Um, we really didn't lose that many people walking out because we were, you know, made them wear it. And most people were pretty amenable to it, but there was a few, you know, and, and it's sad. It's sad that we had to have those kind of um, interactions with with our visitors because, you know, that's not what we want. You know, we never want something like that to happen. Awesome. Thank you, Michael, for talking to us tonight. I love that last story. Um, and that that is what a lot of museums had to do, had to turn to. Um, so it's very instructive. But we need to move on to our next guest so we can be respectful of everyone's time, um, including yours. So thank you so much for joining us and have a great night. Well, thanks for having me guys. And, and anytime. Next on this special episode of the M files podcast is Lisa Hatchadorian, who currently serves as the executive director of the museum of art, Fort Collins in Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome Lisa. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. So, Lisa, we are addressing the idea of masks in museums. And of course, there are the stories of masking during the recent pandemic, pandemic, but we would like to shift to talk about masks that really engage the public and bring people into the museum environment in a positive way. And I, we would like you to perhaps talk about the fundraiser at the Museum of Art Fort Collins. Why does the mask theme resonate with artists and attendees of your big mask fundraiser? Well, this fundraiser has been going on now for 19 years. We're about ready to enter into our 19th season of doing this particular fundraiser, which is incredible to me. Um, and it's built up a lot of community goodwill, I think, over almost two decades now. And you know, obviously it started a long time ago as a way to kind of dig the museum out of a pretty bad financial hole. And it's kind of morphed and changed as the years have gone on. But the main premise for the exhibition is that we create about 225 uh, ceramic masks each year. And they, the form changes every year. We kind of cycle through maybe a dozen forms, shapes, things like that and have changed the uh, composition a little bit over the years to make it better for hanging so they don't fall off the wall, things like that, which is always nice for a piece of art. And um, then we do just a rudimentary call for applications for the community. And the great thing about this particular fundraiser is that it's just not artists who apply, it's you know general people from the community who are creative on the side. So you get doctors and nurses and engineers and architects and you know, the whole gamut of 
people applying and creating works and using every different kind of medium under the sun. So I, I absolutely love the diversity of expression that comes from everything from, oh gosh, obviously painting and felting and photography and sculpture and you know, just glass, mosaic, everything. And it's really a tremendous project that the community comes out for over and over and over again. And um, people have been collecting these masks for almost 20 years. And now we've actually got a tiny little secondary market for it. So people who have, say, moved out of town um, give us their mask back and we sell them again. So it's, it's pretty special. And you know, it really is something that the museum and I think the Fort Collins community is known for. So are there specific sought after masks? Are there, there are some years you said you cycle through designs about every 12 years. Are there some years that are more popular than others? No, I mean, this is just the mask form itself. Um, I haven't seen that necessarily. I mean, the uh, range of what we end up auctioning the masks off has stayed pretty steady over the years. I mean, there's some artists that, yeah, their mask we know was going to go for a higher amount. But the one thing that I find fascinating, this has happened almost every single year that we've done it, is that there's, there's a particular theme that gets pulled out kind of out of the ether from um, all the different artists that are working. It usually ends up being some kind of um, animal theme. Like one year it was owls. We had six to ten different owl motifs. Another year it was turtles. Last year it was mushrooms. You know, so there's just like one thing that gets pulled out that a group of people tend to work on. And I, I love it. I just find it fascinating. So we talked about, um, too, how masks might empower or give people a feeling of disempowerment. How does the, the mask perhaps create agency for the artists and the museum in this case? Well, it's such an accessible um, project. And for people who like being creative and like being part of a communal project, it just creates the opportunity for them to do that and explore different ways for them to, um, you know, get out their creativity and uh, on, a, on a, a high level. So it's, you know, everyone's exhibiting in the museum for four weeks to eight weeks with this particular exhibition, we have a people's choice award. And so we kind of open it up to the public and ask for their choices. We used to have a couple other awards over the years, um, you know, best in show and things like that, juror's choice. And we've kind of jettisoned that, but I think it, it's just the democratic accessibility um, of the whole project itself that creates this kind of goodwill for everybody. Yeah, I feel as though we start as children, you know, looking at masks, you know, superhero costumes. A lot of kids like to dress as superheroes and put that mask on. And, you know, it's this idea of assuming identity. And this is really a creative way to think about identity as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's why it, I see so much variety in artists who've done the project year after year after year in terms of what they do with materials that they work with. So it gives them the license to explore and step away from maybe what their artistic practice is if they're a full-time artist. And same for the community members who aren't. You just get this freedom to kind of do 
whatever it is you want to do. There's no, we don't have any restrictions except for size. Um, so that's about it. Um, so I have another question for you. We were talking earlier about the pandemic, of course, and how did the pandemic and the need for masking us to physically mask in physical spaces affect the art as a whole? And did it affect the art or, or were the artists still engaging in a much more open, open way or the same way that they always had with the, the art that was coming out during the pandemic? Yeah, for 2020, um, I mean, we saw a little bit of a darker turn in terms of what people were creating that year. Um, and I'm sorry, I get some of the years confused as they go on. Um, last year, less so, but we did have one mask last year that was a full-on plague mask, which was actually really beautiful and interesting with the you know the long beaked nose and and the full everything. Um, but yeah, for 2020, it was it was very dark. It was yeah, people were exploring um, COVID itself, and there were actually some beautiful masks, uh, two of my absolute favorites that had to do with the the cellular structure of COVID itself. One was this incredible jewel encrusted mask that was COVID related. Um, so you know, just vast amounts of creativity dealing with the symbolism of COVID, but also sadness and and fear and all the emotions around all of it it all came out and it all does come out and so you kind of see that flowing over the project as the years change and i'm sure that uh you and val would have more exposure to this than i do um but i i would imagine the pandemic has affected a lot of artists in that way and that looking back in the future uh at 2019 2020 the art is going to look a little bit different. There's going to be a, a little blip in the, the art that people were creating because of the pandemic. And I think that'll be an interesting topic to look back on in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, it was interesting. I think, was it this year? It must have been this year, maybe in um, March. I was down in Santa Fe and the one exhibition at the New Mexico Museum of Art was kind of the first exhibition that I'd seen of uh, artists incorporating COVID-oriented art, you know, within a group exhibition like that. And I don't, it took me aback. I don't know why, because I'm sure artists started creating COVID art immediately. But, you know, that was the first time I'd, I'd seen it out in public in that way. And that that's really the first time I've heard of it referred to that either. I mean, th in this conversation that COVID art is, is going to possibly be a, a genre in the future. So... Yeah, and I believe masks have been represented for tens of thousands of years in art, in, in global culture, and utilized not just in visual art, but we can think about the theater mask as an icon as well. So probing into the, the culture surrounding masks at this time is really interesting in that there, there were such varied reactions to the idea of wearing a mask, but it's been been part of humanity and and this innate urge to create art for, as I said, thousands of years. Yeah, it's funny. I originally thought when 2020 rolled around and we realized what we were into with COVID that 
having our fundraiser be masks, I thought, oh God, is it just gonna you know blow up in our face? I mean, is something gonna happen that I'm just not prepared for? And it actually was fine. There was no issues having masks, and we incorporated a physical mask on a mask as far as our marketing. So we you know ended up bringing in what was happening within our marketing. So it all ended up working out, but I had some moments of panic of like, oh, is this gonna, is this gonna be okay? That, that is a, I love that marketing piece because we were all, you know, so deep into masking at that time that it would be universally understood what, what was going on. So, yeah. but thank you, Lisa, for joining us tonight. We appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us a little bit about the more positive side of masking, not that masks are negative. Um, I wore one for a long time, but a lot of people do, do have that negative or positive connotation with it. Um, to me, it's like wearing any other piece of clothing at this point in, in the world, but we appreciate you coming on and giving a different spin to it for us. Yeah, my pleasure. Next on this special episode of the M-Files podcast, we are speaking with Kristen Martin, the marketing director at the Museum of World Treasures in Wichita, Kansas. Kristen was the programs director at the museum, overseeing all collections, exhibits, and education work. And thus, we are going to speak broadly to Kristen about masking at her museum in marketing as well as in programming. Thank you for being with us, Kristen. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Would you please share your experience conducting programming at the museum during the pandemic once it reopened? Yes, so it was certainly a challenge, of course, to not only conduct the programming, but also plan the programming. So of course we had to get creative to figure out ways to host programs that people would be comfortable coming back in for. So one of the very first things that we did was we created hybrid lectures, that's what we called them. So for seniors who wanted to come back in and do safe social distancing lectures, uh, we would offer in-person options where they could mask and they could stay six feet away from other people. But we also used Zoom and later we also used YouTube as well. To We really did a very simple sort of technology setup, um, but we would put a webcam right in front of the speaker and we found a way to share their presentation and we made that available to people. We put it behind a paywall at first, um, but we decided to keep that long term. That's something that we actually still do. Um, it's just available to our members. Uh, so that was that was a real plus. Um, and then for other programs, you know, where maybe it used to be a very large program where a lot of people would come and it wasn't possible to social distance, we decided to get creative to make sure we could still do those. So for example, we would often have a customer appreciation day or every year we have a customer appreciation day in August and, you know, we'll get up to 800, 900 people for that. And we knew that's something that we couldn't do in 2020. So we decided to just spread that same deal out over a week. And uh, instead of having activity tables that people would come up to and interact with a person, we did take home crafts. Um, so those are some of those things. Um, but I know we're also talking about masks, so I can definitely go more in depth about how the masks themselves really 
um, affected our programs. So I gave quite a few tours with a mask on. And as you can imagine, that's very difficult uh, in quite a few ways. Um, so for one, you are not able to rely on your facial expressions to tell things to kids. Mostly I gave tours to kids, which can be difficult. It's also obviously hard for people who are hard of hearing because they can't see my mouth move. But I definitely learned very quickly how much I rely on people being able to see my facial expressions or being able to see my mouth move. Uh, so that, that made it more difficult to communicate, but that also made it much more, I guess, draining as a educator because, you know, tours and programs can last an hour, two hours. And I found myself, you know, you have to enunciate more so your mouth gets tired. You have to uh, always be cognizant of are there kids here who can't hear me? Um, you have to project more. So I, I found it often very difficult to work around that. And then in our organization for quite a while, we did have a mask mandate. So there was also the element of I have my eyes on 30 kids that I need to make sure that they keep their masks on. So that's one more thing to pile on top because when you're giving a tour, it's it's a lot of different things that you're juggling at once. So it um, certainly when we when we talk about mask fatigue, it's all it's not only the oh I'm tired of pick, picking up my mask and put it on, but when you're doing programs with masks, there is you know sometimes even a physical fatigue and a mental fatigue with juggling all of the accommodations that are needed to be able to give a good program when wearing a mask. You know, that's that's really interesting. You know, especially bringing up the idea of facial expressions as a barrier between uh, yourself as a staff member and the content within the museum and your visitors. Do you have any other examples of how a uh, mask served or as a barrier uh, in other ways or or did it? Yeah. Well, I was listening into, you know, the other two interviews before me and I heard some of those native negative interactions and those are very similar to some we had at the museum. So, you know, you have the difficulty of staff members having to be the bad guy and enforce the masks and just the daily negativity or, uh, you know, snotty remarks that they would face. So that was really a drain on the staff uh, emotionally, as Michael was mentioning. Um, but also for me, it really wore on some of these good educational partnerships we had going. So we had a tour come in and I'd say like 90% of them were just fine with wearing their masks, but there was one mother who was just not happy and she marched into the front office and got in the face of the front desk gals, kind of, kind of very petite. And she got in her face, you know, walked into a private office and did that and started yelling at her. And that makes it really difficult for, I mean, fortunately, I couldn't see this happening at the time. So it didn't affect me giving the program, but it does wear on that relationship that you have with those teachers when you're having to work through that with them. Um, or I had different school groups decide not to come because of the mask mandate, either because, you know, they didn't believe in it or because they didn't think that they'd be able to monitor their kids keeping their masks on. But then on the other end of it, I had some senior programs where I had seniors walk out 
once we started loosening the mask mandate because they didn't feel they didn't feel comfortable. So, uh, you know, it's just really I think I think the best way to put it overall is just a lot of interpersonal tension really in every possible way. And then just a lot of emotional fatigue from that. I think everyone saw those sorts of interactions. I think it's interesting that you brought up that you had some senior groups that then were uncomfortable coming to such a public venue once the masking restrictions were lifted. Um, We had several groups at the museum that I was working at at the time that didn't come during um, the masking mandate because they had groups of individuals or individuals in their groups, I'm sorry, that couldn't mask um, or had trouble maintaining their masks, but because of health reasons. um, And then once the mask mandates were lifted, they also couldn't come because these people were immunocompromised so badly that then they couldn't be in this facility with people that weren't wearing masks. Um, So they kind of got, got the bad end of the stick or the short end of the stick both ways there. Um, but switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask, because you had mentioned the, the two other interviews, and one of those is dealing with masking in museums, and the other one was talking about masks as something that is a part of the museum, something that's in the museums. Do you guys have any museum, any masks in your museum's collections? I know you have a fantastic Egyptian collection, um, and you guys have just such an eclectic collection. You also have uh, one of the T-Rexes which is fantastic. And so you guys seem to have a little bit of everything. And I was just wondering if you had any masks in your collection. Yes, we do. And unfortunately, I did not go pull information up on those beforehand. I know we have some African masks. Uh, You mentioned the Egyptian burial masks. We have several of those uh, that are very cool. we think we have masks of a more military nature so you have uh, like a gas mask or a um breathing mask i can't think of the term but you know what a pilot would wear so we have a lot of that i remember joking all through the pandemic that you know i'm gonna hold on to one of my cloth masks because i'm gonna show this to my grandkids someday and they're gonna be in museums and I was actually really excited during MPMA uh, just this year in Tulsa. We went to, I went to the Tulsa Historical Society and they did have like just a normal cloth mask in a case. And I was like, this is the first museum I have seen put a COVID mask in a case. I knew it was coming and there it is. That was going to be my follow-up question. (laughs) If you guys had accessioned a mask, a COVID mask um, into your collections yet, because I think that is something that, where no no one's really thinking of yet, but museum people are because that's something that's going to be very important in telling the story, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the road. So do you think that culturally we will have a mask fatigue in the foreseeable future? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm wondering if some of the worst of that might not be wearing off. I personally kind of hope it is. Uh, I was really glad when, with all of this, I've always been a person, I get colds really easily. And I've always thought, well, this will be great if, you know, people would start wearing a mask when they have a common cold. If that was something that came out of this, 
that would be fantastic, you know, or uh, for me, I, <laughs> it's like a dumb thing, but I, I am personally very sensitive to cold air. So I've actually been using one of my cloth masks in place of a scarf when I go outside. So I, you know, I hope that there is, especially after some of the bad taste of the COVID crisis and all the controversies wears off, I hope that there's more acceptance for them and how they can be helpful. And honestly, I would say a tool of accessibility for, as you're mentioning, people who are immunocompromised, I think it would provide some sort of accessibility to them. So I hope that after we all get over the worst of it, <laughs> the worst of the emotional part of it, we can go back to accepting them a little bit. That's interesting. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, during the pandemic, everyone was keen on was getting back to quote unquote normal. And now we're in a post COVID environment. So, you know, how has in your institution COVID affected, you know, the long your long term operations, you know, what how does it continue to affect uh, what you do and how you present your content either in however form it comes out. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, and in getting ready for this podcast this afternoon, I kind of went and reviewed all of our reports from the last few years to try and remember what happened. And I was actually surprised at how much we are still affected by COVID. You know, it's not something I think about on a daily basis. So if you were to ask me out of the blue, I'd say, oh, we're past it. But really, a lot of the things that happened during COVID are still very much affecting our organization. So, you know, some in good ways, as I mentioned, we now just regularly offer hybrid programming, especially for seniors, which going into any winter is great because they can tune in online live to watch our lectures. Uh, we're doing more and more virtual tours, and I don't think that's going away. Um, but also it's still affecting us, yeah, organizationally, um, we were very, very, very lucky that we only lost one part-time position um, in, in the financial fallout, and we really have not gained that back. So we, we had to furlough indefinitely our exhibits position, and really what our strategy became at that point was instead of making new permanent exhibits, we started more so rotating items in and out of cases for freshness and just doing necessary maintenance. And we really have not gotten past that. And also as far as education, we are still um, looking to restart those relationships, particularly with school teachers that were lost during that point. And I knew that from, from the moment we lost all of those April and May tours in 2020, I knew, you know, you're gonna have these, these teachers, they come every single year, their streak is broken. It's gonna be hard to get them back. Um, so we're, we're still very much working on that. And then, you know, even personally, I know a lot of us, the, the pandemic changed us in ways for me. I, uh, just the stress of it all made some chronic issues really bad. And that has really affected my career. Um, I know people who've lost people to COVID that in ways that have affected their career. Um, I know within MPMA, we've lost people, you know, and it's, it, the world is different. And I, I don't know, I sometimes when people are like, we're back to normal, I wonder how many of us sit here and think like, no, normal, normal is not back, we're still suffering, you know, how many people are still struggling with their mental or physical health, uh, COVID long haulers, 
all of it, you know, to me, it is still a very present thing. So, um, yeah, but hey, we're getting past it. Hooray. <laughs> we're, we're getting somewhere. We're, we're trying to move on. And I think a lot of museums have gone to and will probably stay with that hybrid model of uh, delivery for tours, for um, uh, programs. It seems to be something a lot of us were afraid to try, um, but it's worked out really well for almost all the museums that I've talked to about it. They really enjoy it and their their participants enjoy it and they're able to cast a wider net and get more people involved, even if it's only virtually. So thank you, Kristen, for talking to us tonight. We appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us a little bit about the practicalities of masking in the museum. And with that, we'll close out this episode of The M-Files. Special thanks to all of our guests tonight for joining us and talking about masking in museums. And also thanks to the Arts Department at St. Vincent's College for their support of this episode. New episodes of The M-Files will be dropping every two weeks. New episodes, along with those from our previous seasons, are available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All of them are also available on our website. When you have a chance, please take a minute to rate and review The M-Files wherever you're listening to us. Your reviews help others find our show. In between episodes, join us on Facebook at The M-Files Podcast as we keep the conversation going about the museum world. You can also email us directly at themfilespodcast at gmail.com. Check the show notes for this episode for links for all of our social media and website locations. Thanks again, and we'll see you again next time.